Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, welcome today to this edition of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. My name is Mark Miner, and I'm your cheerleader on this journey, this simple journey to understand the Bible. And I really do hope that you're having as much fun listening as I am recording these 24-Minute Podcasts. Fun? Yes, I really mean it. Learning should be fun. Whether it is uh, reading a new book or trying out a new hobby, maybe a video game if you're a gamer, uh, gaining some new skills like golf, (laughs) not very good at that, or gardening or even skydiving, whatever. It ought to be fun, which is one of my major contentions with the way we approach religious training and especially the Bible. The Bible is the most exciting book in all of human history, and yet For most of us, we've come to view view the Bible as as boring, as boring as seventh grade math. To use a term that's popular in my area of the country, that's hogwash. The Bible contains sports. It talks about psychology. and uh, It is the book of psychology. Psychology is the study of the soul. It has a lot of blood and guts in it, if you're into that. uh, There's criminal mystery and intrigue better than anything on CSI or Chicago PD. There's astronomy, military tactics, there's sensuality. Yes, there is. Think of Harlequin romances, some things that will make you blush. We'll get to the book of Song of Solomon soon enough. There's poetry. There's topics more interesting than sci-fi. Think of the creatures in Ezekiel or the book of Revelation. Uh, There's medicine. There's geology. There's even recipes. It's all in there. Now, I don't know about you, but many people make a New Year's resolution to read through the Bible. And if that's been you, most of us do pretty well at the start. Maybe we make it through the book of Genesis. Let's face it, the book of Genesis is just pretty interesting. But be honest, our New Year's good intentions come crashing to the ground with a screeching halt when we hit the books of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, (laughs) Deuteronomy. Well, let me help you out a little bit. A lot of the parts of those books are boring. They're supposed to be. Have you ever tried to read through a law encyclopedia, a medical textbook, or an IRS book of rules and regs? Of course not. And yet we must have those books. They give structure to our society and to our government. Without them, a country would fail. And in last week's episode, we we saw how God made a mighty nation out of Israel while they were there in bondage in Egypt. Remember, they went into Egypt with 70 souls, but they left Egypt under Moses' leadership, and now they were no longer just a few tribes, the 12 tribes, sons of Jacob, but now they are Israel, a mighty nation, over 1 million strong. God did exactly what he promised he would do during those 400 years. He made them into a mighty culture and people. In today's 24-minute episode, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to be looking at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And while rules and regulations may seem boring, they are essential to provide a government for this new country. 
and for us today as well. So let's jump into episode number seven, Moses and government. Now we're going to look at two particular parts here, two different things. We're going to talk about Moses as the ghostwriter, and then we're going to talk about the purpose of these laws, these rules and regulations. If you happen to be listening to the last episode, I referenced to you that I thought the greatest invention of all times took place during this 400 years of Hebrew bondage between the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. And what was that greatest invention of all times? The alphabet. If you remember, the Egyptians communicated with hieroglyphics, a pictorial-based form of communication, very cumbersome, very difficult, very complex. We didn't understand it until just a couple of centuries ago. But during those 400 years of bondage, while the Hebrews were there, God had a plan. And one of the plans was to give them a language, the ability to communicate with one another in a much more simple way using symbols, letters, alphabet. And from that alphabet, now we can create words and sentences. And now we have the ability to, to tell stories, to explain complex situations, to, to document history that had never been done before. And now... The stage is set for that to happen. That's, that's why this is so important to understand as far as the Bible is concerned. For example, let me, let me just read to you Exodus 33:11, A very simple verse, but it simply says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So get a vision, if you will, right now. There was a tent that was Moses' inner sanctum. It was his office, if you will. And he went there every day, and he would go in, and during the months, years, and even decades, Moses spent a tremendous amount of time in there. And when he would go into that room, into that tent, God himself would show up. And he began to speak to Moses, the Bible says, as, as one speaks as a friend. Exodus 34, 34 says that when Moses entered into the Lord's presence, God began to speak to him. And we know something significant was going on because in verse 35, when Moses came out, the scripture says they saw that his face was radiant. He, he was radioactive. He was, he was still glowing because he'd been in the presence of God. And they asked Moses to put a veil over his face because it frightened them. Well, my friends, something, was very significant, something very significant was going on during that period of time. And the Bible is telling us that God was speaking to Moses. You see, Moses was God's ghostwriter. And God, through those decades, spoke to Moses. And he told him all of the things we call the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Now, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on them today. It was an amazing thing, but equally as important were the five books written by the hand of Moses, but given from the mind and the heart of God. The book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus means beginnings, and God, in that time frame, in that tent, God begins to speak as a friend speaks with a friend. God was there firsthand telling him everything that happened in the 2,400 years of the book that, that the book of Genesis covers. And so my, Moses writes it down, and God begins to speak about the laws, the commandments, the histories that are going to be important to his people, his nation, 
these tribes of Jacob or Israel that have now become a mighty nation. So we have Genesis, the book of beginnings. We have Exodus, which is the exit out of Egypt. Then we have Numbers, or Leviticus, which talks about the law. The Levites were lawyers. Numbers, which talks about numbers and censuses. And then we have the book of Deuteronomy. A duo or a duet means two. And the book of Deuteronomy means the second word or the second law. It's Moses' farewell speech, kind of his overture at the end of his life. Uh, Moses was the author of these first five books. Now, a lot of critics will, will uh, bristle at that. They don't believe that. But I've got someone that I believe as a pretty solid critic himself, and he believed in Moses' authorship. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus quoted Moses and accepted Moses as the author. Matthew 8, 3 talks about when Jesus healed the 10 lepers. And then as they took off, he said, go, offer the gift that Moses commanded. Now, that's Jesus' exact words. So if, if Jesus hadn't believed in Mosaic authorship, I don't believe he would have said that. Bottom line is that God gave Moses the history of the first 2,400 years of humanity. But equally as important, God gave Moses legal social, societal, dietary, hygienic, even religious rules and regulations. And that's what the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy contain. And so we're going to look at, at some of those as we go forward. God used Moses as his ghostwriter, and God wrote through Moses, and now God is giving his people the government they need to lead them and to allow them to be and become the country and the people that he intended for them to be. So let's jump into the purposes of God's laws. Now, I'll be honest with you, sometimes when we read through some of these laws, they don't always make a lot of sense to us. For example, uh, <clears throat> I like bacon. Uh, I've had a pork chop, and yet the Old Testament law says, don't eat pork. Well, what's up with that? And there's other things that we might not totally understand. And in fact, a lot of people look at God's laws and they think they're archaic, they're crude, they're cruel, they're, they're unfair in so many ways. I want to tell you, that's nonsense. Every single rule, regulation, command, and restriction in the Old Testament law is written for one reason and one reason alone. It is not to punish us. It's not because God's some cranky old uh, man up in the heights and he wants to enslave us. It's not because God doesn't want you to have any fun. In fact, he wants you to have ultimate fun. The reason that God wrote every rule, regulation, command, and restriction is because he loves us. He loves you. And every single one of them is for our good. Now, some of them may not totally apply in the specific to this day. For example, as I said, I like bacon. I eat bacon. That would be antithesis of the Old Testament law. And so I'm breaking that law in a sense. And yet what God did in giving these laws through Moses to his new nation is he is protecting them. He is blessing them. He is telling them uh, that these are the things that will take care of you and keep you healthy and strong and prospering. And so the, the purpose of the law was to bless this people. And every principle, every law, even those that we may not particularly keep today, have underlying the purpose of blessing and loving. And in fact, if we obeyed them, all of the things that God promised to his nation, Israel, would be true for us as individuals and for us as a culture and a country today. 
So let's jump into the purposes of God's laws. For example, the laws of governance. Most of our American laws are built squarely upon the Old Testament law given through Moses. For example, let's talk about something that a lot of people think is really cruel and archaic again. The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, cut for cut, burn for burn. Why does God say to do that? Well, he's promoting what a lot of people want to promote today. Equal justice for all. And that's found in Exodus 21. You say, well, how could that be? Well, let me just give you an example. Let's say you come up and punch me in the nose. What am I going to do? Am I going to punch you back in the nose? No. I'm going to want to cut off your head. You see, I'm not interested in justice after you've harmed me. I'm interested in vengeance. And the, the law, God's purpose in Exodus 21, to give equal justice. The crime and the punishment need to fit each other. So it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, cut for cut, burn for burn. Those are the things that God gave to the children of Israel and gives to us today so that we can have equal justice under the law. There's also victim protection and restitution, victims' rights, another big issue today. The Bible addresses that. That's what God gave Moses to Israel and to us today as a culture. For example, let's say someone steals your property, and the police find it, and they arrest that person, and they return your property to you. The Old Testament law in Exodus 22 says not only do you get your property back, but they have to pay you 20% extra beyond what they stole. That's the Old Testament law. If you are, that's victims' rights too, by the way. If you are borrowing something from someone and you break it or you tear it up or you lose it, you have to give it back to them with some interest. And so there are all kinds of ways that the laws of governance protect us and bless us. Let's talk about murder for a moment. The Bible, uh, unique to any other document in history, uh, has different degrees of murder. For example, if you, uh, through a mistake or through a happenstance, something happens and someone dies, the Bible calls that involuntary manslaughter. A certain degree of murder. Somebody died, but it was involuntary, and it's called manslaughter. But let's just say that you hate someone, and you plot, and you premeditate, and you act upon that hatred, and you kill that person. Well, today in our crime stories on television, we would call that murder one, and that's exactly what the Bible called it. That's where they got it. It's premeditated murder, and there are consequences for the degrees of things concerning murder and deaths. Let's talk about liability for a moment. You are responsible in the Bible, in the Old Testament law, for careless behavior. It talks about, in the Bible, about a bull, but let's just take something a little more understandable for us today. Most of us don't have bulls in our house, but we might have a bulldog. And let's just say you have a bulldog, and that bulldog, uh, somebody's visiting, and that bulldog bites that person. You say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for that to happen. He's never done that before. He's really a gentle dog. Isn't that what you always hear from people? <clears throat> but let's just say that bulldog has a history of biting people, and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. And that bulldog's in the neighborhood, and it attacks some child or some person, and, and there's a lot of damage. Well, the Bible says you're responsible for that because of your careless behavior. You knowingly endanger the neighborhood, and there are consequences thereof. That's the law that God gave us through Moses. There's workman's compensation, Exodus 21, 19. What a concept that if uh, you cannot go to work because of an accident that was caused by somebody else, they have to pay you those wages that you lost. That's called workman's comp. 
the Bible talks about in the law, the dishonest scales and, and not withholding wages and all sorts of concepts that are just part of our laws of governance today. Let's talk about punishment and accountability. And the Bible does talk about capital punishment. It talks about the importance of the community being involved in punishment. A lot of people today, when they think of stoning, they think of how cruel and, and vicious and archaic, and why would a God who loves us give that to a people and even command it for certain crimes? Well, let's put ourselves in those days instead of trying to live in our days. First of all, they didn't have firing squads. They didn't have electricity or electric, electric chairs. There weren't legal, lethal injections. But there were crimes that demanded, according to the Old Testament law, that the person lose their life for what they did. And the, one of the ways, the main way that was given to the Old Testament was the law or the rule of stoning. Now, even with stoning, think about that for a minute. Everybody in the community had to be a part. It didn't happen very often. But when it did, everybody in the community knew that something had been violated. They all agreed because they picked up a stone to, to help to execute the punishment. It wasn't done off in a corner somewhere. And so it not only stopped crime, but it also helped everybody realize the true penalty of sin. There were other things such as sanctuary cities. We've heard of those in recent days. But the Bible has sanctuary cities where people who committed a crime that, that might incur the vengeance of other people, brothers and sisters who might attack them, they could go to these sanctuary cities and they would be safe. So, so many things under the laws of governments that are part of Moses' law. We all like to eat. Uh, we all like to live healthy. It's a huge thing today. And before there was nutritional science, there was the Bible. The Bible gives us all kinds of dietary and hygienic laws. For example, the Bible says don't eat pork. Well, what's the big deal with that? Well, there's this thing called Trichnolus spiralis, which is a parasitic worm that most often lives in pork. Now, God wasn't anti the taste of a pork chop, but God didn't want his people getting sick. And so he also told them, don't eat fish with skin on it. Well, what's a fish with, a, with skin on it? It's, it's a catfish for us that live here in, in America. And a lot of times, catfish are bottom feeders. They eat things that you probably shouldn't ingest. They weren't a healthy sort of meal. Uh, the Bible says, don't eat carrion. In other words, don't eat roadkill. It says, don't eat raw meat. I know, I know you love your steaks. Really, really rare. But the Bible's very clear that the healthiest thing is to cook the meat to kill the uh, parasitic worms and the diseases that might be in it, and also to make sure that the meat is healthy for you because it doesn't need to have any blood in it. How many hundreds of thousands of times have we heard in the last nine months? Wash your hands. Some years ago, we took a group down to Guatemala, and it was a group of kids, and we would go there and we actually went to a village called Weiwei Tenango. We went down uh, into uh, uh, parts of these very small villages where very few Westerners had gone. And one of the things we found, we brought a water purifier to these villages. And when we put the water purifier in the community water source, their children stopped getting dysentery and cholera. They stopped dying. So it was a great godly thing. But they didn't understand in ver the very simple Old Testament laws of washing your hands after you go to the bathroom of burying or taking care of fecal coliform, the waste that we have, and making sure that it doesn't just roll down the hill into the water source, which sadly these Guatemalans didn't understand. 
The Bible's very clear. It gives us all these dietary and hygienic laws. Don't touch dead things. Wash your hands. Get rid of the possible infections. How about this? When somebody's sick, they might have an infection. You should quarantine those with contagious issues. Now, folks, those were revolutionary ideas. Even in the Middle Ages, they forgot that, and doctors would be working on people who had bubonic plague, and they would be doing autopsies, and then would go to work on the healthy people and spread the infection. All of that understanding that we have today in science was in the Bible in the Old Testament laws. Let's talk about what might be a controversial sort of subject, but very clear in the Bible. And that's the whole subject of sex and sexual relationships. Leviticus 18 is one of the most amazing chapters in all of human history. Because in the, for the first time, God defines through Moses and the law who you may have sexual relationships with. That is nowhere else in all of humanity. But it is, or any other book of antiquity. But it's right there in the Bible as God told his children who they may have relationships with, who they may marry, who they may have sexual relationships with. Uh, the, the Bible's clear. You, you couldn't have a relationship with your mother, your sister, your granddaughter, your aunt, your half-sister, uh, your stepmother, your daughter-in-law, your sister-in-law. It goes on and it defines all those things which had never been done. Even today, in many societies around the world, brothers still marry sisters. Uncles take their nieces. And, and, and there's all kinds of things in, in some cultures. But the Bible gives us in Western society a specific pathway to go. You couldn't have same-sex partners, homosexuality. You couldn't have sexual relationships with animals. Uh, you couldn't have sexual relationships or covet your neighbor's wife or your husband. Well, why? Why, why would God care about all that? Does he just not want us to have any fun? Of course not. It's all about health and safety. You see, we understand today that inbreeding increases all kinds of genetic hazards. Bestiality, having sexual relationships with animals, uh, that's why we have syphilis and gonorrhea in the world today. Even the controversial issue, at least in some circles, of homosexuality. We understand that, uh, that uh, as we look at research today, the homosexual community uh, has increased mental health risk. Uh, suicide rates that are, that are seven, eight, nine times higher than heterosexuals. We also understand there's all kinds of other comorbid or existing issues with those who engage in homosexual behavior. In fact, there's one study that was done in the late 1990s that showed that Homosexual males had a lifespan that was 20 years less than heterosexual males. You see, God wants you to be healthy. And that's why he gave these laws and these rules and these regulations. Not to stunt us or to punish us or to take away any joy or fun from us, but to keep us healthy and to actually allow us to enjoy the wonderful things that he's been given. Uh, that he's given us. Well, let me jump into these last issues here, and this, that's the religious laws. God gave all kinds of religious laws to the children of Israel, and he asked for them to obey them. For example, blood. God's very specific about the blood. We understand in the Christian church today that it's the blood of Jesus that saves us. In fact, every culture in the world understands that blood is vital to the payment of sins. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. We also have, yeah, I think I'm going to go there, the whole covenant of circumcision. Why did God do that? Did he just have it out for guys? I mean, what's up with that? Well, 
A covenant sign is always a circle. We give a person a ring to place on their finger because that's our covenant sign. Well, God gave a circle, a ring, if you will, to the men of the Jewish society, of the Israeli society. And numerous times a day, they were reminded that they were in a covenant with God. And it wasn't just a symbolic thing. There, there's health issues. We know from research that circumcision helps, particularly in the area of vaginal cancer and some other things that have to do with us being healthy. So God gave them circumcision uh, as a covenant and as a way of staying healthy. The Bible is also clear in religious laws that uh, we're to take care of the needy, the widows, and the aliens, those who come into our country, into our homes and lives. Remember Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, the book of Ruth. Uh, she was a Moabitess. She was not a Jew. She was not an Israeli. And yet we see her gleaning in the wheat fields of the Jewish culture there because the law says that you always leave the corners and you only go through once. And whatever's left is there for anybody to pick up that might be poor or needy. You see, the Bible is very gracious. It's loving. It's graceful, it's kind, it's caring. God gave all kinds of offerings and told them to make those offerings to remind them of the blessings and where the blessings came from. And lastly, there's the seven holy days. We would call them holidays. But God's calendar, Passover, and unleavened bread, the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which is actually a fast on a feast, and the Day of Tabernacles. Those seven holy days were God's calendar to give to the, his people, the Jews, the nation of Israel, on how to live and how to observe him. So uh, just to close with a review, the first five books of the Bible, from Adam to Moses, We've covered them. You've covered them. I think you could kind of talk and recite your way through them. Hopefully you can. And uh, we can connect the dots. You know, if you had a tapestry here, a tapestry, if you look at the backside, it's just a lot of random threads and it doesn't really make any sense. And that's, they're colorful, but it just it doesn't really communicate. But when you turn that cloth over, you see the beauty, the intentionality, the work of art that that picture is. And that's what the first five books of the Old Testament are. They are a work of art. Now, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a man called Joshua in our next episode. But just to remind you, we're in the narrow part of the hourglass now. The first uh, parts of the Bible talked about the entire world. Now we're talking about Abraham's kids. And Abraham's kids started out as nothing, but now they're a mighty people, one million plus strong. And today we've talked about how they have a law. Now they have a governance, a religious law, a social law, a societal law, dietary law. God covered all of it because he loves his people and the law is good in every aspect. And in next week's episode, episode eight, we're going to be talking about the promise God made to Abraham that he was going to give them a land, a land of milk and honey, the promised land. And we're going to be looking at the man who led them into that land and gave it to them, a land, by the way, they still live in today, the land of Israel. So next week, we'll be talking about promised land and a man called Joshua. Thank you so much for being a part. Hope you enjoyed, had fun in this podcast, this edition of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, 
please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.